the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 8. I'm going to read for this morning, verses 16 through 24. 2 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 16 through 24. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. And not that only, but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Avoiding this, that no man should blame us in this abundance which is administered by us, providing for honest things, not only in the sight of the Lord, but also in the sight of men. And we have set with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. Whether any do inquire of Titus, he is my partner and fellow helper concerning you, or our brethren be inquired of, they are the messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. Wherefore, show you to them and before the churches the proof of your love and of our boasting." On your behalf. We are continuing in our series, What Grace Is This? Uh, We said by way of introduction, there are but four verses in the New Testament with the phrase, This Grace. Each is written by the Apostle Paul, and they identify, I believe, four areas of the grace of God at work in a believer's life. The first we looked at was Ephesians 3.8, Amazing Grace. Then Romans 5.2, we saw Available Grace. Then 2 Corinthians 8, 7, abundant grace. And here this morning, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 19, abiding grace. Now we're looking at these verses with the intent of not only learning about God's grace, but how it can be at work in our lives as believers. Be quite true to the text and honest to the text, both in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 7, and here in verse 19, this grace refers to the offering that was being collected for the saints at Jerusalem who are going through a time of great hardship and trial because of famine and persecution. Previous passage, this grace was linked to the givers of the offering. Here in this passage, this grace is linked to the bearers of that offering. It calls attention to and emphasizes personal characteristics of a continuing care for the believers at Jerusalem. This chapter closes now with Paul speaking about the men who carry that gift to the saints in Judea. It's interesting, we notice these men were Paul, Titus, and then two unnamed believers. Verse 18, and we have sent with him the brother... And then in verse 22, and we have sent with them our brother. Now we already know about the Apostle Paul, but it would do us well, I believe, to look at what the scripture has to say about these other men that we may in turn apply characteristics they exhibited to our lives as well. So continuing or abiding grace, as we see in this passage, is demonstrated by these men in a number of ways. So first we're going to look at Titus, and then we will look at these other two believers. Notice in verses 16 and 17, we see the abiding grace of God in the life of Titus. We start out in verse 16, noticing his shared burden. 
But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. Titus was the chief emissary of these three who were accompanying Paul. And with Paul, Titus had a great compassion and care for the saints of God. Now this is high praise coming from Paul because Paul is saying here, I have found someone of a kindred spirit in this fellow worker in Titus. This verse makes two things quite clear about Titus's care for the saints and two things that we ought to also have in effect in our lives in caring for others. Number one, this care comes from God. And number two, this care is a matter of the heart. Notice the word put. But thanks be to God, which put the same earnest care into the heart of Titus for you. The word put means to give, to bestow, to furnish, or to supply. We see here that it is the Spirit of God who moved on the heart of Titus and gave him this desire, this compassion, this care for others. And it is that same Spirit of God that works in our hearts and our lives and gives us such a burden. We notice in Ezra chapter 7 verse 27, Blessed be the Lord God of our fathers, which hath put such a thing as this in the king's heart to beautify the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. Ezra was referring to Artaxerxes and his intent to have the temple rebuilt. We also see this in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 12. And I arose in the night, I and some few men with me, neither told I any man what my God had put in my heart to do at Jerusalem. Beloved, we ought to be grateful to know that God cares enough to put in our hearts a desire to serve Him and to do right. When we get saved, there is a natural desire, I say natural, there is a spiritual desire to do right, to follow the Lord and to be pleasing to Him. But God puts within us a desire to honor Him in all that we do. And we see as we surrender to the Lord and let Him work in our lives, He has the liberty to make us more like Him. It is the Spirit of God who enables us to do the will of God in our lives. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 16 tells us, This is the covenant that I make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them. Titus had the same attitude as Paul because he yielded himself to the Lord God and God knitted their hearts together in love for those to whom they ministered. This is what God does with Christians. He knits the hearts of believers together in unity that we might accomplish God's will. We serve the Lord as a congregation in unity to accomplish the will of God, not only here, but in the lives of those to whom God allows us to minister or reach with the gospel message through our missionary support. See, we're like different pieces of a puzzle. All of us are different. All of us are unique. But when combined, we form a body, if you will. We form a beautiful picture that we in turn might be used to the Lord collectively to accomplish God's will. We see this in Ephesians when Paul wrote in chapter 2 verse 21. In whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord. And then again in chapter 4 16. From whom the whole body fitly joined together and composed by that which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working of the measure of every part. 
maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Yes, Titus demonstrated a shared burden. Titus was burdened for the people of Jerusalem. He was burdened for other believers. And God gave him this burden and he shared with Paul in that desire to see these people reached helped and strengthened in the face. This is certainly a characteristic that we as Christians ought to demonstrate toward others. A care, a compassion toward those who are without. Too often we're concerned more about ourselves and less about others when really it should be the other way around. We ought to be concerned more about others and less of ourselves. It was John the Baptist who pointing to Jesus said, He must increase... But I must decrease all that we would get our eyes on the Lord and he would give us a greater burden for those around us. But not only that, we see also in verse 17, Titus had a surrendered will. For indeed, he accepted the exhortation, but being more forward of his own accord, he went unto you. We ought to have a burden for others, but there needs to be some action, some activity associated with that burden. Here we also see two evidences of Titus' zeal. He accepted the message from the Word of God, and he acted upon what he heard. The word accepted means to take with a hand, to embrace, or to make something your own. It was used of a family that would adopt a child into their home. You see, Titus heard the plea. He experienced the burden and he shared in Paul's endeavor to help the Jerusalem believers. But the word of God fired up his passion in such a way that he was willing to do something about what he had heard. He was willing to step up and get involved Let me ask you this, when was the last time we were moved by the Holy Spirit of God to do something in service for Him? When was the last time the Word of God convicted us to accomplish something for God's purpose and for God's good? You see, it's one thing to hear the Word of God, but James said we need to be more than just hearers of the Word, we need to be doers of the Word. And to sit and listen to the preaching and teaching in the Word of God, to sit and read the Word of God on your own is wonderful. But if it doesn't do anything to change us, if it doesn't do anything to move us, to get up out of our place of comfort and step up and get involved, then what's being accomplished? Someone has said it does no one any good to be stirred about a problem or cause, but not moved to do anything about it. Titus was so moved by the word of God and committed to serving the Lord that he didn't wait to be asked. He volunteered. He stepped up and said, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll help. I care and I want to do something about it. Too many are sitting around waiting for someone to ask them, for someone to invite them, for someone to plead with them to get involved. When Christians need to just step up and say, I'll do God's will. Lord, I'll get involved. We need to be like Isaiah of old in chapter 6 verse 8. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Acts chapter 26. In fact, would you look with me at Acts chapter 26, verses 13 through 19. This passage here tells us something interesting about Saul's conversion, Paul's conversion to the Lord. Acts chapter 26, verses 13 through 19. At midday, O king, 
And this is Paul relaying his testimony, his salvation experience to King Agrippa. He said, At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying into the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sin and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Now if it ended right there, if the story stopped and Paul stood and went on his journey, he would be just as saved then as any time because God redeemed him from his sin. Paul received Jesus Christ as his Savior and that would have been fine. But notice what he goes on to say to Agrippa in verse 19. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. He said, I heard from God. I understood what God was telling me. And I got up and I did something about it. God spoke to my heart and I responded in obedience and did that which God spoke to me about doing. Yes, he had a burden for others, but he also had a surrendered will and was willing to do something to help these other people. Sitting in a pew isn't an indication that someone is serving the Lord. The real telltale sign is after we have heard from the Lord, what do we do when we leave this place? Titus 2.14 states, Who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Titus was zealous of good works and demonstrated that great truth. Yes, we had this man who had a shared burden, a a compassion, a desire to see others reached with the gospel message or to be helped in a time of need. And then he was willing to do that which was necessary to reach them with this help. Now notice with me in verses 18 through 22, the abiding grace of God in his companions, these two other men. Verse 18, And we have sent with him the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. Now let me say something here before I get any farther into their characteristics. Verse 18 and verse 22 indicate these two men went with Paul, but they aren't named a lot of speculation has been put forth concerning who these individuals might be. But really, by trying to guess who they are, we might miss the whole spirit of the passage. I believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God. I'm sure you do as well. Which means it was God's point and purpose not to identify these men by name. I don't believe their names were left out accidentally. I don't believe some scribe down the road said, well, I don't think it was them, and and crossed their names out of the text. No, I believe God intended for them to be unnamed. You see, true discipleship 
often involves obscurity. This was so with the little maid who was such a great help to Naaman that told him about a prophet in Israel. This was so of the little boy who gave Jesus his loaves and fishes. We don't know those individuals' names. We just know those events took place. It's not that who they were isn't important, but really what matters most is what they did. Let me ask you this. If you can only be remembered for one thing when you leave this world, and you would have the choice of these two thoughts, would you rather be remembered for who you were, or would you rather be remembered for what you had done? I believe many would choose the latter. Whoever this person was, he was known by the Corinthians. How do we know that? Well, we look at what the apostle says about him here. Verse 18, and we have sent with the brother whose praise is in the gospel throughout all the churches. He was a brother in the Lord who was well known and was praised by believers throughout that entire region. These folks knew him. They loved him. They appreciated him. They were grateful for his ministry in the gospel. And you know, it's amazing. We've been blessed of the Lord to have guests in our church, some of the Lord's choicest servants, whether they be pastors, evangelists, or missionaries. They were such an encouragement to us, and we know that whenever they go somewhere, they, I'm sure, are a blessing to others as well. It's great to be able to point to individuals and say, they're such a blessing, they're a blessing to us, and I know they're an encouragement to others. And maybe you have certain preachers that you can think of that were a blessing to you here, and you can just imagine how they are a blessing elsewhere. That's how this person stood out in the minds of the believers of his day. He was well-known, well-liked, and appreciated. You know, it's a joy to be known and appreciated by God's people. It's been said some people are such a blessing whenever they come into the room, and it's been said that others are such a blessing whenever they leave the room. You know, we need to be careful to make sure our testimony is such that we are a blessing to others and we are known of them in a way that would be pleasing to the Lord. This unnamed soldier of the cross was loved of these people and many counted it a joy to know him and were blessed by him. I believe this individual is one who was given to the preaching of the gospel. For the scripture says, whose praise is in the gospel throughout all churches. He wasn't one of these false prophets or false teachers that was making his way around the country, following along the, behind the Apostle Paul and undermining his work and preaching a gospel that was contrary to what Paul had preached. This man was one who preached the same gospel. This man was one who preached a message that people gladly heard and received. Not like many today. We find their preaching is man-centered. It's about themselves. It's, it's a self-propagating and self-promoting. No, this man was a Christ-centered preacher. And I believe there ought to be a Christocentric aspect to the life of every one of us as God's children. He ought to be the center and focus of our life and our activity. 
Psalm 100 verse 2 says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before His presence with singing. All how we need to make sure our service is geared toward the Lord and His work. First uh, believer, he had, a, he had a servant spirit and was recognized by the people. But notice what verse 19 says. This is interesting. And not that only but who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace, which is administered by us to the glory of of the same Lord and declaration of your ready mind. Not only did he have a servant spirit, he had a sound testimony. We know he had a good testimony among the believers because of what Paul says about him here as well. But who was also chosen of the churches to travel with us with this grace. The word chosen. It's an interesting word. It's a compound word. Meaning to stretch the hand or to raise the hand. It depicts the church, the congregation, the individuals in the church voting, saying yes, we'd like him to represent us. Yes, we'd like him to be our representative. We'd like him to go with Paul and carry this message. You see, he was chosen by these individuals who expressed confidence in him. He had such a sound testimony that they didn't have any reservations at all about saying, we're willing to get behind this man and let him represent us in the taking of this offering on to Jerusalem. We're reminded here of the importance of a good testimony before others. Proverbs 22 verse 1 says, A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches, and loving favor rather than silver and gold. If the goal of our life is to have a good name for Christ, then we will be motivated to diligently guard our testimony. Acts 24 verse 16 states, And herein do I exercise myself to have always a conscience void of offense toward God and toward men. 1 Corinthians 9.27, Paul wrote, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul saw the importance of guarding his life and his testimony. His advice to Timothy was, Take heed unto thyself and unto the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this, thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee. Peter warned believers of Satan, who walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He said, You need to be diligent. You need to be alert. You need to be on guard. Oh, how important it is for us as Christians to have a good testimony. Someone has said, do your best to have a good name for Christ and for your family. Charles Spurgeon is noted for stating, a good character is the best tombstone. Those who loved you and were helped by you will remember you when the forget-me-nots are withered. Carve your name on hearts, not on marble. And someone else has stated, few things are more dangerous to a person's reputation than having nothing to do and plenty of time in which to do it. Make sure what we do is pleasing to the Lord and will enhance our testimony for Christ rather than hinder it or harm it. Well, we see this first servant. He's had a servant spirit 
a sound testimony. Then the second individual in verse 22, notice this characteristic that's pointed out about him. And we have sent with them our brother, whom we have oftentimes proved diligent in many things, but now much more diligent upon the great confidence which I have in you. The apostle revealed the godly persistence of this man by the fact that he had proved to be a diligent person in many things and in many ways. Again, we don't really know anything about this individual. Not only do we not know who he is, but we don't know what he endured to gain this sort of reputation. He wasn't a quitter. He didn't give up. Now he was the real McCoy. His life must have been scrutinized and tested in such a way that he endured and came through those trials of life with the testimony and the reputation of being one who did right in spite of all he went through. This man could be counted on to finish whatever task he started and endure whatever challenge was put before him. We need some Christians with stick to don't we? Just a plain old keep on keeping on. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know, your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Paul, in writing to the Galatians in chapter 6, verse 9, we see, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. Hebrews 12, 3. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Oh, you want an example of diligence? You want an example of someone who didn't quit, who stayed on track? Yes, you can look to Paul. You can look to this unnamed individual. You can look to others in Scripture. But if you look to the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll find the greatest example of one who diligently continued in the accomplishment of his given task. In this closing passage of this chapter, Paul highlighted the characteristics of the bearers of this grace, giving us a clear example of how we should demonstrate care to others. We need to have a shared burden, a surrendered will, a servant spirit, a sound testimony, and a steady Resolve. If we're going to truly help others, how we need to care for them from a heart of love and a willingness to not just pray for, send well wishes to, but to truly do something about. First John, but whoso hath this world's good and seeth his brother having need and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? The scripture indicates we need to do something in helping others. In this case, we see these three individuals, Titus and these two unnamed men, who demonstrated godly qualities and characteristics that I hope each of us would desire to see implemented in our lives. Let me close with this illustration about caring A young father once signed up to be his son's Little League baseball team coach. The team wasn't very good. In fact, they went the whole season without winning one game. I was on a team like that once. It was the last game of the season, and it pretty much looked like the same thing was going to happen. 
their last chance to win, but they were down to the last inning, two out, and pretty much the situation looked like it was hopeless. You see, the next batter, and this dad, it was his responsibility as a coach to let all of the kids play. So this little boy was coming up. This was his first year in baseball, didn't know the rules, never caught a ball, (laughs) never hit the ball. He was just one of those fellows that wasn't just wasn't cut out for baseball. All the boys in the dugouts think, oh, that's it. Season's over. Another loss. But the coach said, no, no, let's, let's cheer him on. So anyway, he got up there and sure as a world, banged out a single. He was so excited, ran all the way down to first base and he was safe. And the team was, the team was ecstatic. They thought, wow, we've got a chance to win. So the next fella comes up. He was one of their big hitters. He whacks the ball as hard as he can and it rolls down past first base. And the little boy on first base because he didn't know what to do, he, he bent over and picked up the ball. <laughs> and, uh, well, of course, that meant last out. Season over. Oh, and whatever. Didn't win a game. Oh, the kids in the dugout, they were just upset and disappointed. They were starting to fuss about it and complain about this kid and how the coach should have replaced him. And the coach stopped and said, wait a minute. Everybody plays. This is his first year. He's just learning the game. He actually did something today that he's never done before. So let's go ahead when he comes back to the dugout and cheer him on. So the little boy coming back, all, the, all his teammates were cheering and clapping, and, and he didn't know any different. He, he thought he was the star of the game, even though he'd cost him an opportunity to win. But that day, that coach of the Little League team made an eight-year-old's life a little bit brighter because he demonstrated compassion and care for someone who didn't know or didn't understand. You know, what an example for us to demonstrate care and compassion, not just to those who can repay us, not just to those who appreciate what we do, not just to those who will acknowledge what we do, but to whosoever the Lord moves on our heart to help. Someone has stated, choose to care about others because it's the right thing to do. You know, folks are going through this life looking for someone who cares. Oh, it would be wonderful for them to hear, Jesus loves, Jesus cares. And for them to see that love and care demonstrated toward them through us will make such a difference in their lives. This grace, this grace of giving, but as well, the care associated with those who do the giving does so much in regard to reaching others for the cause of Christ.